As a boy, he was always different. No one understood him. You ready for it, boy? It's time to take your medicine. Thank you, sir. No one could control him. Go inside, honey. But now, it's a new beginning. The beginning of the end for Freddy. Every town has an Elm Street. Is in motion. It's your mind you'll go for. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little soul, too. Welcome to 30 Years Later. I'm your host, Ricky Camilleri. Uh, say hi to uh, the co-host, Chris Chapin. Chris, say hi. Thank you. It's always a thrill to listen to the joy in your voice when you introduce me, so thank you. It's a joyful sound. It's a truly joyful. That's as high as my joy registers. You know, the sad part is I do know that to be true, so it's actually really sad <laughs> for you. Uh, today, we are talking about September 6th, 1991's Freddy's Dead, which I have a very long history with that I alluded to in our last episode about Child's Play 2, which I also had a long history with. And we are joined, we're very lucky to be joined by uh, one of the great critics that you can find online, great writers, uh, Vern at outlawvern.com. Vern, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Vern, I, I reached out to you to have you on because it seemed like you had been writing, you had written a few, uh, like 30 years later, uh, essays, or maybe it was only two. And I was just like, oh, we're doing this thing and maybe he should join us now and again. And you chose Freddy's Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6, uh, the movie with, that was supposed to end the run of Freddy movies, which was never really going to be the case. And I'm surprised he hasn't come back again. It's been since 2010, I think, right? um but what um what interested you in in this movie yourself uh really i i i love freddie kind of i I, it really was uh the thing that made me a horror fan was watching nightmare on elm street movies when i was when i was a teenager or maybe a little younger whenever i started watching them and uh uh, Freddy's Dead was, I, I realized, was the first time I ever went to a movie by myself at the theater. Uh, my my older brother had gone away to college, and I think I had just gotten my driver's license, maybe. And it was like, like holy shit, I could just go to this by myself and then just watch it. And it was in Freddy Vision, uh, which is not not good 3D. And uh, but I. I don't know. We'll we'll get into it, but I I sort of love all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, even though they're not all equally good. Um, I'm not including the remake as a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but all the other ones Fair are. Enough. I um, I think the first one is a genuine masterpiece, and then, and then all the other ones I have both uh, 
admiration for and like uh, nostalgic attachment to. Yeah, I have I have the same thing. Freddie was always for me one of those characters that um, as like a as a as a child in the eighties. You know, I was in the video store all the time with my parents and the horror section was this thing that I wasn't necessarily not allowed to go in, but the boxes uh, scared me. And so like I would as like a young, young, young child, you know, all I knew of you just knew who Freddie was. You knew who Jason was and you knew who um, Chucky was. And those were the boxes that I would look for because I wanted to know more about this thing that was like, you know, scary or bad and i always remember the box for the second one was the one for whatever reason that scared me the most when i was a little kid i think there was fire on it and <laughs> freddie was like had fire behind him and he was like had his uh had the had the glove and he was like looking around a door or something and so it was just like a just enough of his burnt face where it was like terrifying to me fire but, is pretty scary what's that fire, fire. is pretty yeah. scary <laughs> It, it hurts you. It hurts it you and it, <laughs> up, up until damage. death. It could kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, but then somehow at the age of like seven or eight, it had to have been eight because the movie came out in 91 and I was six then. So it was like seven or eight years old. We had like a, a premium cable preview thing that I think my parents had signed up for that lasted like a year or maybe a month. I don't know. And I would just tape <laughs> movies as much as I could. And, uh, I taped a long play VHS where I had Terminator 2, Child's Play 2, and Freddy's Dead. And for whatever reason, at eight years old, I just fucking loved Freddy's Dead. And I would watch it all the time. So and now, it's having so... rewatched it, it's kind of weird, but as a, having rewatched it as an adult, it actually makes perfect sense. Because well, it's like, like a... It's, a ki- it's a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie, right? I mean... <laughs> yes. It's very strange they made... I mean, I was saying this last week about Chucky that he's like a Looney Tune that kills people, but like that is even truer of this movie. I mean, I think the ultimate moment for me of that in this movie is like when Freddy pushes a bed of nails out underneath somebody who's falling. <laughs> the person falls in a bed. But it's just the shot of it, the way he's like pushing it up. It's like very, very like Sylvester the Cat kind of a thing to be well, doing. He's, it's not even that he's like you have to like really give like he's breathing heavily he's out of breath because it's so heavy to push and he's looking <laughs> at the camera and it's like <sighs> <sighs> like it, it's very much a wily e. coyote kind of thing that he's doing very weird uh, and it progresses so much to the point that freddie's last line in the movie is kids <laughs> right like so it's like so upset and he plays with nintendo in it i mean well, maybe we'll get into it like on a scene by scene basis, but yeah. it, it, it like rewatching it as an adult, it felt like every scene more so than any other nightmare movie was calibrated in a way to um, please chill like younger audiences more so than the sort of older teenagers that might be going for the horrific violence. Like, and and maybe also a response to um, Dream Child, which has like some pretty some pretty great gross out uh, practical like practical effects. But and good death scenes, but for some reason, I think they they really shy away from it in this movie. Uh, real fast, a, a bit of business. It was a, a budget of um, nine to eleven million dollars, and it grossed about thirty four point nine million. I mean, I wouldn't say about. That seems pretty. That seems uh, pretty specific. Yeah, pretty specific. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing about the movie too is that it was it was the highest 
opening weekend of any Freddy movie, but it went on to have the fifth highest gross of any Freddy movie. So if that tells you, <laughs> did not have did not have legs. It did, did not, not have, have legs. legs. The <laughs> word of mouth on it was not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we should say I, I got the date of its release wrong. Um, but the date of the release is September thirteenth. Uh, I apologize to um, you know our our our, our audience. Listener, yeah. I, I just I misunderstood the dates. We record a week in advance. It's kind of like that Colin show sketch on Mr. Show. I just get very confused. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Vern, rewatching it, you know, you you said that you went to see it as a teenager. It was the first movie that you saw uh, in the theater when you got a license and you could go alone. What were your What were your first thoughts then, outside of why does this 3D look so impossibly bad? <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, I think I felt similar to how I feel now. I've, I may have been more positive about it then, but I, I've always kind of felt like this is pretty bad, but I like how crazy it is. And I like that it's, uh, I think there's probably more flaws to it that bother me now than then. Than. But I always thought it was cool that it, it is quite a bit different from the other ones, like the tone of it, of the like it is more cartoonish in a weird kind of fever dream kind of way. And it, um, the way that it skips forward into a into a near future with like escape from New York style text at the beginning, and then they tell us that all of the teenagers have been killed in in Springwood, and then we we see how the all of the adults have gone crazy because they've all lost their kids, uh, which is explained by the Roseanne and Tom Arnold cameo scene. Um, and Don't they, you know they bring ham? <laughs> <laughs> But the Which, but, if um, you watch the, uh... go ahead. I, I just I just uh, there's all these weird things like that where they really were like three, four, and five are all kind of like building off of each other. But then this one was like we're just gonna make this really crazy in a in a different in a different sort of way. And the, I love the reality of the video game scene that he can. It's funny to watch Breck and Meyer be trapped in a video game, but then also when he's in the real world his body is jumping jumping around like mario and hitting the ceiling and <laughs> yes <laughs> like it doesn't i don't know that 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 logically extends from your body being able to be cut in the real world world but i liked that they were just like why not let's try this let's do this you know <laughs> uh yeah uh, so so i, I enjoy like, that about there, it even though there's a lot wrong with it well there's a lot about the and and let me just say again like I, I watched this movie so much growing up that when Chris and I sat down to rewatch it a couple weeks ago, that I, I know it by heart. Like I had, it's like a song that I forgot that I knew by That's heart. That's lucky because I was, we had had several drinks and I don't know how much of it I remember. So I'm glad to know <laughs> that you know it so well. And and there are lines in the movie that sort of are in the back of my head all the time. Like, and I don't know if you guys have that where there's like a movie you've seen so many times. Like either as a child or as an adult, but there's like a line or something in the movie that just remains in the back of your yes, head that every yeah. now and then someone will say something and remind you of it. And like, you can't really tell them that they reminded you of this movie in the back of your head because it's like, they're going to be like, it's like telling somebody about a dream you had. They're like, I don't give a fuck. Like you're having like a business <laughs> meeting with someone and then you're like, oh, that's just like from Freddy's Dead. <laughs> like, right, what? Right. What do you mean? It's right, I'm, I, I'm having a business meeting with someone and, and I'm like, to clean your ears with... <laughs> But there's like there's like that scene there's there's that and then there's the moment where the kids counting 
um, uh, bottles of beer to stay awake in the in the in, in the in the juvenile facility, and someone throws a, a pillow at him, and it's like, if you don't shut the fuck up, I'll break a bottle over your fucking head. That for some reason, I'll, like I think as an eight year old, I was like, yeah, nice. Like that's the way cool <laughs> people like, talk. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. Um, but yeah, the, in terms of like the logic of freddie and the sort of dream logic of if you get hurt in the dream you will get uh you know it'll happen to you in reality bouncing around kind of works in the sense that in the first one the girl who gets slashed in the stomach and um you know uh i think she's the second first or the second death maybe the first death in the movie where she's flipping all around the room and she's she's getting swung all around to the point where she then uh, knocks her boyfriend out because she, she 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 basically flies into him but there's also elements where it's like he he he's bouncing up and down but then all of a sudden he they they're holding him on the floor while and his stomach's getting like punched in but then i think they cut to him in the video game and he's still kind of walking around <laughs> or standing so they don't they're not like that detailed about it and it's kind of like consistently it's like well it's just whatever freddie wants to happen both in reality and the dream <laughs> at this point like they don't well, really give a shit and maybe he's just more powerful now because he's killed every teenager in springwood except for possibly one there's rumors of one being left well yeah so i oh, mean john john right <laughs> are, are the star of the movie i guess for part john of the Doe. movie like um, I mean, the way the movie starts, I, I mean, Ricky, you've seen it so many times. Like, I found it just extremely disorienting. I didn't know, like, who I was seeing or what they were doing or because it's basically like a standard kind of Freddy is stalking somebody thing. But then he wakes up and he's in a he's in his bedroom, but his bedroom is falling through the sky, which is great, great, which is fantastic. I definitely didn't see it coming. I was I got I got nervous there that you were jumping all the way to when he wakes up later. Oh no. And like you were and you were jumping over the house falling no, through the sky. It's a it's great too. It's a great like I'm only dreaming fake out because not only is he only dreaming or he's still dreaming rather, right? Because he wakes up and he's still dreaming. But it's like <laughs> everything it's like he's in his normal bedroom. Everything's fine. And then he looks out the window for some reason, which I don't remember how they get him to do that. But it's like, whoa, he's falling through the sky, um, which is. And then Freddy is the, the wicked witch. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Freddy, Freddy flies up on a broom and cackles at him. I rem- so I'll I, get you my pretty and your little soul, too. I, I hadn't seen it before, as, as I maybe said. Uh, and watching it, when the house was falling through the sky, I thought to myself, like, if Freddy doesn't fucking fly up on a broom like the Wicked Witch, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> and then he did it. And, and it was, it. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> it was great. We, uh, and Vern, you, you, you mentioned this, though. Just before the house scene, he's in a, uh, John is in an airplane. And it, there's a there's a ton of turbulence, and of course it's a creepy airplane, and like a little girl turns to him and says, "Some, he's going to make you help him because you're the last." But then there's a woman sitting next to him, and he turns to her and he says, "I'm afraid of flying, or I'm afraid of heights, or something like that." And she looks at him, and it's a kind of a heavier set woman. And she looks at him and goes, "Don't be a pussy." <laughs> and then and then a hole rips in the plane, and she goes flying up <laughs> out of the plane. Apparently, because Rachel Talalay, the director of this, who came from both Nightmare on Elm Street movies and John Waters movies, she was a producer on Hairspray and Crybaby. Which makes um, so much sense. That was, yeah, that was going to be Divine. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I never heard yeah, that. Yeah, that, 
that was going to be divine, but she passed away just before they started filming. Oh my god! That's oh wow, that would have been amazing. Yeah, so that you would have had some really. You would have had Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold, Johnny Depp, Divine, and I don't think there's any other cameo. Oh, Alice Cooper. Alice those Cooper, are the really. Yeah. Those would be the cameos. I, mean, it's pretty I, great, I think yeah. you mean Oprah Noodle Mantra, as as <laughs> as teen on TV. That's what it says on the credits. Oh, and oh, for for oh, for Johnny Depp. Oprah, yeah. Johnny Depp. <laughs> Oprah so Noodle he's... Mantra. Oprah Noodle oh, Mantra? Johnny. Is that what it? <laughs> that's, oh. that's what it says. That's so ridiculous. He's quite <laughs> handsome in it, though. He he's looks, in his heyday. He looks like a million yeah. goddamn dollars. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. It's one of those epic, like he's doing a favor. He's doing like six favors at once. He's doing a favor for like Rachel that produced Crybaby, right? That is like he knows. <laughs> he's doing a favor for um, the Nightmare on Elm New Street Line. franchise. Mm-hmm. He's doing it for New Line, you know. It's like, great. and it's also because he's the biggest star to have come from the Nightmare movies. Oh yeah, you know, and it's, it was his first like ever film appearance, right? Yeah. Do you know that story about how? Uh, Wes, Wes Craven had said he he didn't bother to ask Johnny Depp to be in the funeral scene in in New Nightmare because he didn't think he would do it and then and then Johnny Depp was like oh I would have done it and uh, I just think like he was afraid to ask even though he was he did this in the in Freddy's Dead yeah, right <laughs> like, yeah, right but this is obviously no, was a very that, low like, ask because yeah. Johnny Depp appears on a television he's obviously been like filmed at like wherever he was he did one take you know like. Wasn't like he had to show up but for that, a funeral scene, right? The scene is that Johnny Depp, like Breckenmeyer, stoned and watching TV, and all of a sudden it's like a "Say No to Drugs" commercial with a, "This is your This is your brain on drugs" with the egg, and um, Freddie shows up and hits Johnny Depp in the face with the pan. I mean, it is <laughs> very ironic in retrospect that Johnny Depp is doing the "Say No to Drugs" commercial, and that <laughs> and he's the victim of domestic abuse. You know. Right. And I wonder if it was at the time, ironic, like if Johnny Depp at that point had been known for partying. I think he kind of had. So. Like he was at, like he was at the Viper. I think he owned the Viper room. Right. Where, yeah, where, where River Phoenix died. Oh, God. But I don't think that had even happened. I don't think that had happened yet. But yeah. And then, um, yeah, Freddie hits him in the face. And now when Freddie hits him in the face with the pan, he says, what are you on? And this is like one of my problems with the movie at times, which is that there are moments in the movie where it feels like no one wanted to do a second take because (laughs) like certain lines just don't read. What are you on? Does it's like mumbled in a way like I had I had trouble for years knowing what he was saying there. See, and that's not good. Like a movie shouldn't you shouldn't have to watch it for 20 years to figure out what someone's saying in a scene like it's. The one punchline of their most famous cameo, right? <laughs> he hits him with the pan. Freddie hits him with the pan and goes, "Yeah, what are you on? What?" <laughs> like it <laughs> took so long for me to figure it out. And I can't think of any of the others right now. Maybe it'll come to me. But there's a number of other moments where I'm like, "What? What did they say? What is that?" And that extends to the the plot. Well, that's too. how I felt as somebody watching it for the first time. I just kept feeling like, "Well, this is what I'm saying about this John character at the beginning." They say the little girl says to him, like, you know, he's going to make you help him because you're the last. And it, it seems to be setting up. But I was like, am I supposed to know who this is? Like, what is going on? Like, where are they? What is happening now? Like, I did. I felt well, there's always a little girl. 
Well, okay, yeah, but I just mean I felt like right? very at Vern, sea. Is that, tr- is, is that is that true? There's there's usually a little girl, isn't there, Vern? Well, there's the the jump roping one two. Freddy's yeah. coming for you, kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was kind of right. in that. But I, I agree, it's very disorienting. But I, I think, in a good way to me, at at the beginning, I, li- I like how it it feels more like a real nightmare than than most of the later stuff in the movie. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Right. It's like the video game, the the psychedelic TV commercial that turns into a video game does not feel. <laughs> like a nightmare yeah i like it though i like it but like Uh, oh no go ahead go ahead go ahead ahead. well i was just gonna say we're jumping around a lot and we always do i mean i do kind of want to go over the yeah please the movie in a minute but before we do that in regards to the before i forget in regards to the video game moment after breckenmeyer dies somehow in reality a hole in the floor opens up (laughs) Not in his dream, but in reality, a hole in the floor opens up. Unless she is sleeping, she's not sleeping, right? Freddie's mm-hmm. Freddie's daughter in that scene. Oh yeah, I can't because, remember. Because a hole in the floor opens up, and or maybe she is sleeping. Now that I remember it, because isn't Tracy doesn't Tracy have to wake her up before they leave? Yes, Springwood? I think yeah, and she almost gets killed, but doesn't get killed. Right, yeah. I don't know, dog, but this uh, is no, the kind no, of thing. No, that's not true. No, that's not true. Oh she wakes God. up Tracy. She has to she has wake, to wake up, up Tracy because Tracy went into a meditative this trance, is the thing, like, which Yafet Koto told You're her. one minute but, into trying to describe the plot of the movie, and you're like, was it Tracy? Was it Susie? Were they asleep? <laughs> Were they awake? No, no, no. It's like, it's a, it's a I, fucking mess. This is like, and this is like the fourth draft the of, the, of the screenplay. And like, I, haven't even, I haven't even gotten to the plot. I'm just calling out <laughs> what we were talking about before about the dream logic, which right. is that Breckenmeyer falls down the stairs and he falls into a hole that opens up in the floor, not just in the dream, but in reality. And and Maggie, the 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 girl from the social worker, she sees the floor. Breckenmeyer falls into it, and then his soul comes out of it. And Freddie's standing at like the top of the staircase, and they look at each other. And she's and he says, "Oh yeah, great to be back in business. <laughs> thanks to thanks to you." And it's, uh, but she, Maggie's not dreaming. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is this whole thing of blurring like the dream world and the real world in this movie. Like that is kind of the plot device. And this is, I guess this is like kind of when this is starting a little bit. I don't think it's a device. I just don't think they care. (laughs) I really, it really doesn't like, there's no logic to it. It's just all, it's like, this is what we want to do right now. So this is what we'll do. Yeah. (laughs) How could we make this just, how can we just fucking get through this scene? You know? (laughs) Um, So the plot of the movie is that there's one kid left in Springwood or he's the last, all the kids have been killed off. Freddie is fucking with him through a series of nightmares. It's like a trilogy of nightmares for this kid. One is in a plane, one is in a house and then the other is on a bus where we really get to see, I mean, I guess we got to see Freddie be cartoonish with the broom, but then he's a bus driver oh, who God. says no screaming while the bus in his bus is in motion. And he, and like the John character gets hit by the bus, but instead of getting hurt, he's just like stuck to the front of the bus with his yeah. head <laughs> to one side. And Freddie's on the drive in the bus, you know, <laughs> it's like, now, can you, and then, 
at this part, can you explain to me the the cartoon outline, the the logic behind the he he oh. flies off the bus and tears through reality. No, like I can't. I was very confused because it makes it seem like this kid is like a from the dream world. That was the way I read it, and he's been kicked out into reality because then he nobody seems, yeah, he, he doesn't know who he launched, is. Nobody knows who he is, right? Like he's launched from the nightmare into, and it's like nighttime in the nightmare, and then his body tears a little cartoon body shape through reality into a daytime place where he lands. That is uh, the re- that is the real world. Right, but he, but he, and he does not have the affect of a person who has woken up. He seems to have been kicked through a hole in reality, and he's like, "Where am I? What's going on?" You know. But that great grunge song starts playing. <laughs> but it had something to like, do with Freddie trying to send someone out of Springwood to bring yes. more people to him. But I didn't really. I feel like I used to understand what was supposed to be happening there, and I no longer. As I get older, I can no longer comprehend it. Okay, so this is exactly what I want to talk about. <laughs> is that Freddy? It, it, the 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 first scene, the first sequence of scenes in the movie is Freddy in this dream, and he throws the guy out of out of Springwood through his dream, through this cartoon um, like hole in the dream. The guy hits his head on the road, and Freddy says to him, "Now be a good little doggy and go fetch." And the guy wakes up, and like we're and he gets taken in uh, at a social. At a, like a juvenile facility for like orphans and delinquents, and it's run by social workers played by Yafet Kodo and this this other woman whose name I don't the actress's name I don't remember, but her character's name is Maggie. And he goes there now. If that's the setup for the movie, that's a great setup for a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, right? It's the Dream yeah. Warriors setup where suddenly we're in a mental hospital where there's a bunch of teens there and he's gonna kill all of them. Great, yeah. but for whatever reason, this movie chooses not to bring Freddy to the to the to the social work or to, to to the to the facility and these people have to go from the facility back to Springwood right. and then back to the facility and then back to Springwood again at one point where suddenly it cuts to Maggie and she's at the orphanage where we saw this woman who was suffered post traumatic stress disorder from all the kids being gone and is trapped in some sort of like cataton- catatonic like living in the past where she's walking around an empty house and like singing to kids that aren't there. And we're like, Whoa, this place is creepy. And then all of a sudden we come back to that place later. And this woman is having a totally normal conversation (laughs) with, with, with Maggie. seems like a completely different character out of a completely different movie, but all this movie had to do, all this movie had to do was just bring Freddie to the facility. Well, yes, I 100% agree. Like, That's why? It. <laughs> it seems to be positing. Why so much back and forth? I, it seems to be positing that, like, Freddie can only exist in Springwood. Like, that is the world. Like, and that's what he's been kicked through some kind of magical barrier. And that's why Freddie is saying to him, fetch. It's like he has to bring teens back to Springwood in order for Freddie to kill them. No, what the movie ends up saying is that Freddy can only travel through his kin, which is who is who we find out is Maggie. Right. And because when Maggie is leaving Springwood, Freddy does that hilarious thing where he's like, "It's traveling time," <laughs> and he like he like hourglasses his body into this like <laughs> like mambo or like, like 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 luau kind of dance, and he sort of like flies up in the air and then goes into Maggie's head, and that to the audience is like, Oh, okay. Now he's going to the facility. Right. But then 
they go to the facility and come back to Springwood to figure more out. It makes so like it should have just been right at the beginning of the movie. He he throws somebody out of Springwood and he somehow is able to go with that person to this right place to this place. But the movie is so tied to keep to like solving the mysteries of Springwood, like the audience fucking cares. And you could still get to that stuff. It would just have to be like, these people have never heard of Freddy and then all their friends are dying and they have to learn about Freddy and Springwood. And maybe they would even go back to Springwood to like, like the source, you know, to like blow up the source. And like, say that the, the idea is that like, Freddy can only haunt Springwood because Springwood is the only place that has heard of Freddy. I mean, that begs, um, that doesn't really make that much sense because it's not like it's an island uh, where news <laughs> doesn't travel. But nonetheless, like no, nobody is allowed to you. report on what happens in Springwood. It was not national news that like a thousand teenagers died in their <laughs> dreams. It was not. The whole town has no kids. Yeah. Every <laughs> single child like, died violently and inexplicably in their sleep. <laughs> and not one person has written. There's not one podcast about, about this. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but. Say that's the case, and like all, but all it takes for Freddy to be able to travel is that people have to hear of him and get afraid of him again, which I think is kind of the plot of New Nightmare, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in a way. But so she, so this kid then goes to the juvenile facility and he starts telling people about Freddy. Freddy starts showing up. We're there, we're in a movie that makes sense, <laughs> but there's that whole second act of the movie that just bounces back and forth, like you know once they leave springwood again well after breckenmeyer and carlos die there's very few deaths in this movie and a lot of them are kind of late in the movie right they all come kind of towards the end well there's john carlos and breckenmeyer and those three die when they go back to springwood and that's it and then no one dies after that yeah i guess that's right um usually you get like yeah. five <laughs> that's only three it's less even i know that <laughs> england robert england said that they were going for like a warner brothers looney tunes style thing with with freddie like he he said that in the uh the nightmare documentary but i i really think that it goes beyond just his performance and there was some sort of calculated like let's let's turn a younger audience onto this cartoon character because the the deaths are far less violent and there's fewer than 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 the movies prior. Well, this is really interesting. So this is something I did some research on um just real quick. It's kind of a weird I think this was just an idea that was out there in Hollywood at the time of like horror is for children. You know, and that's it's it's especially at this time. Okay, so in 1991 um, here's some, it was the, it was the year that, um, they had this crazy, like syndicated awards show called, um, the horror hall of fame at universal studios hosted by Robert Eglund, but it was like a show for kids basically. And it was like, it was supposed to be like the Oscars, the MTV awards, but it was like Chucky and, uh, Jason and Freddie, you know, and it's this really strange thing. Also, Are You Afraid of the Dark started in this same year. Also, the scariest stories to tell in the dark book, last book came out in 1991. The Goosebumps book started in 1992. So it's just like, 
I, for some reason at this moment in time, it was like, okay, for kids, you want to have big, scary monsters that want to kill them. Like, that's what kids' media is right now. Um, and not to jump ahead, but, like, that's pretty much something you don't see anymore. <laughs> like, that's not really, like, a big thing for children, I don't think. Right, there aren't really, well, there aren't really any boogeymen characters in, in, in movies these days, or at least not to the extent that there were in, at this period of time. Yeah, I mean, and it is interesting to think of them as, like, boogeymen, because, right, I mean, it's, all these movies, like, they are not, like, they're not for children, but at the same time, like, who else would be more fascinated with them than children? You know, I mean, I was scared of Freddy my whole life because I heard someone talk about Freddy at the bike rack when I was in second grade. <laughs> I never even saw a Freddy movie, but I was terrified of Freddy for a very long time. So imagine if John had talked about Freddy when he got brought to the juvenile facility, what could have happened in the movie, right? <laughs> That's a fucking right? scary idea. Somebody can kill you in your sleep and you can't help but fall asleep. I mean, you know, because then you could in real life have a nightmare about Freddy. I never actually have. Have you? Did you ever have a nightmare about Freddy, Ricky? I think I have, but nothing really like uh, like sticks sticks with me. But I've had, I think I've had dreams with, with Freddy. Then what about you, Vern? I... Yeah, yeah. I if I did, it wasn't it wasn't something that scared me too much. Haunted you for oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> no, you for I don't life, remember. Yeah. I I didn't wake up with slashes on my chest or anything. Right? I think I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I guess you know this 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 sort of this this the issues with the story kind of start with Dream Child. If I remember correctly. Isn't Dream Child's plot kind of hard to follow as well versus Dream Warriors and Dream um, Master? Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, because it has the whole, it introduces the element of her being pregnant and having the dreams of her unborn son and then also having dreams about her son. But she can she can dream while she's awake because her son is dreaming. Mm-hmm. And so she, yeah. so it kind of bends reality that way. That's cool. So I, they really just started running out of ideas to 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 use within the the sort of uh, very loose frame that had been created for them. <laughs> yeah, I always, I know most people hate five or dislike five, but I I always liked. I like uh, oh, good. I I I think because I'm younger than those characters, it always seemed it was seemed cool to me. Like, oh, now they're grown up. They're dealing with. They're out of high school and they're dealing with with relationships and and uh it seemed like at the time it seemed like kind of a almost a ballsy thing that that it had become this movie series about teenagers and then it was trying to move beyond that but uh most people it's like it's like the saint almost fire of freddy movies is that (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then they kind of go back to this i always just thought that the the death scenes in five were cool like they were doing more with latex and 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 gore and and then they were just kind of being a bit more gross than they had been in in previous death scenes sort of like it's almost like the cockroach death scene in in four Mm -hmm. had gone over so well that they tried to do do more of that wait can i just interrupt for a quick second ricky am i i may have been hearing it wrong but did you just say cockroach (laughs) cockroach 
I please, if you want to say cockroach, I would love for you to continue saying it as much as possible. My, my uh, Danielle, my girlfriend, makes fun of me for that as well. I, I don't even recognize. Do you that really? I'm just. Uh, well, I'm just. I'm. I. am I'm, I'm more used to saying Papa Roach than I am saying cockroach. <laughs> so it just translates to. I'm just always talking about. I mean, Papa that Roach just makes sense. Roach. That just makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, I support it. Yeah. Now I think it's cool, actually, and I'm going to start doing it. <laughs> going to yep. see them at a, a you know a docked cruise in uh in maryland <laughs> in a couple weeks actually. there's is, oh that's the one that has a buffet too right yeah it's got a buffet no masks allowed oh i love <laughs> no masks it. allowed i love it i love it i did actually see my first like i mean my first anti-max masker uh today at the farmer's market in fort green actually yesterday how, how did you know that he was an anti-masker? Like, you don't have to wear masks in Because he was holding a mask in his hand and yelling, um, <laughs> the most the most egregious example of groupthink in Western history. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Good for him. Yeah. In the, in the Fort Green Farmer's Market, just, like, stalking back and forth, and, like, just no one was engaging with him. You know, it was... Yeah. Well, I'm in Seattle, and I saw a guy an anti-vax guy who was, had a megaphone and was was ranting, and he said something about how Cuomo can't tell him to get a vaccination. <laughs> and, well, I mean, he's right. I, I feel, hate to say it, yeah, but he's right. I can, yeah, I could think of two main reasons why <laughs> Cuomo couldn't tell him. But anyway. Did you want, like, how, how was it really tempting to, like, walk over to him and be like, you're right. He can't. <laughs> you, know, you have nothing to worry about, bro. You won. <laughs> He's not even the governor of New York anymore. <laughs> That's what I thought was amazing. You, oh we're, we're as far as you could be in this country from New York. And then also that's not the governor of New York. So it was weird that he came <laughs> out. Um, so that's all. That's kind of the the, the plot uh, up until the point where they they decide to kind of fight back against Freddie. This girl Maggie finds out that, um, or did we? Should we talk about? We talked about Brecken Myers's death into the TV, John's death. Oh, we haven't really talked about Carlos and the hearing aid death. Yeah, I want to. He's the talk first. About Can that. I say That's something about John's death? It is yes, and I want to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. But this is like kind of interesting because I. Up until this point in the movie, like John seems to be the main character, kind of, because we've started off with him, or at least he's he's not necessarily yeah. the protagonist. He's sort of the inciting person, and I I did not think he was going to get killed. I was surprised that he got killed. Then the movie does a little switcheroo. Yeah, and then it's got a new hero, which I pre- I, I I admire the the attempt. I'm not sure they actually. Yeah, I feel off, exactly the same way. I admire yeah. the attempt. I admire yeah. the attempt to like, you know, play with who you think the main character is. That's always fun. Yeah. Um but, yes. but then his death scene sucks. I don't even remember what it is. What what is his one? It's the one it's the one where Freddie's pushing out. It's the, the bed, bed of, of nails. nails. I thought it was the bed of nails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he lands on it. And then when he lands like, I mean, we're in Mortal Kombat time, right? <laughs> where someone falls on a bed of nails. And like, also in movies in general at this time, bad guys at the end of almost every thriller from like '89 to like '96 were impaled by like a rock yeah, or a fence like a rod. Yeah. It was just like it was like every fucking movie. But this kid falls on literally a bed of impalers, <laughs> and it just cuts to him with these like shadowed blood spots on his chest. Right, and can... that are. What? Oh, I was going to say in, in in the real world, in the real world, right, Ricky? In the real world, right. but like, 
but show me some fucking gore show me some show me like the shit pops out of his stomach like make it nasty you know ricky if but it's not if if you're a real smarty pants like me that's actually a really great scene because what it's doing is you know it's just a dream but then you cut to the real world and oh the blood's coming out and it's like you just you it plays in the theater of the mind and you know i'm imagining something (laughs) way scarier than they could ever show on fair okay fair like you know maybe they can't show the actual nails or the spikes coming through him but the spikes that freddie has laid out are pretty yeah it would be like pretty fucked you would be like chopped up yeah you'd be chopped up there'd be holes in you and that would look great (laughs) so why why don't why don't we get that yeah i don't like it i I agree but i think we're going to talk about the best death scene right now i would i would say that it's the best death scene the one that we're about to talk about right the hearing aid one yeah unless you count freddie's Freddy's is pretty good. I think this one's better than Spoiler, Freddy's, spoiler. to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the Carlos scene is great because he 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 has a hearing aid, which, well, first there's the part where Freddy pulls out his hearing aid and then he's like dancing around behind him, like doing funny dances behind him because he can't hear him. Do you remember this part? I It was just such a weird joke, you know, like the sound cuts on the on the movie, and we he's see literally him. making fun. He's, he's Freddie <laughs> making fun of a deaf guy. Yeah, yeah. There's like he uh, might like he might as well be doing the voice at that point. Like he's that close to like like I know doing, he doing could a be. We don't we don't hear camera. anything, so who knows what he that's, could be doing that's something true. really true. really inappropriate. But um, he so then he kind of gives gives Carlos a, a sort of Cronenberg type uh, organic uh, hearing aid thing on his, on his ear. And then his, his, he has like super hearing or something amplified hearing. And so the, the, the joke is that Freddie is going to drop a pin up from a, from a catwalk above and it's going to be too loud for him to hear. And so he drops it and then, and Carlos, jumps across and manages to catch it in his palm. And so then Freddie suddenly has a whole handful of, of pins that he's going to drop. So this is kind of like the Looney Tunes style we've been talking about. But what I, what I think is hilarious is that Carlos says, you wouldn't do that. Would you man? Like, I, I don't think anyone has ever, you know, he's, he's appealing to Freddie's conscience and like thinking that he probably wouldn't do something that mean, you know, so I don't think he's anyone like, has tried on, before. Be cool, Freddie. <laughs> but then, and every time Freddie like pulls out like a, like the handful of needles that he's going to drop or the chalkboard that he pulls out, he does a thing where he goes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he keeps making these like ridiculous efforts, sounds. Ricky. These are, those are the efforts is what <laughs> they call them in the VO ah. biz. Yeah. <laughs> but then before before he gets the hearing aid pulled out, the dream starts with Carlos suddenly back in the sort of like tenement building that he grew up in. This hilarious tenement oh building God. that's like you know <laughs> junkies and like welfare moms like crowding around the brick yeah, wall. Yeah, obviously like, from a very like so fucking funny. obviously from the perspective like, of someone who finds like these things to be like terrifying you know like it's like it's like it's like written a tenement written by barton fink almost (laughs) like it's just so over the top like barton fink and and like g gordon liddy like have collaborated on this (laughs) and uh carlos's mother appears and um she says he's been a bad boy and she slaps him and he says it's time to clean your ears 
she pulls out a Q-tip that's literally the size of my forearm. It's, <laughs> I put it in the video. We don't. This is a podcast. There's no video for people. But my like, generally, is, Ricky has the human adult size forearm. Yeah. Like, if you if you <laughs> ever if you have one or if you've even just seen one in pictures, like, picture that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she shoves it into one side of his ear. It comes out the other side and shoots his eardrum, his hearing aid. And then she pulls his eardrum out the other way. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be his eardrum that she pulls out. So now he's deaf and he's running around. And like you said, Vern, Freddie gives him a, a, a hearing aid. I'll let you pick it up uh, for, for the end with the, with the, ch- with the chalkboard if you want to. <laughs> Why don't he, he just, he uses his claws on the chalkboard, right? Yeah. Just to play on. What would be even worse than fingernails on a chalkboard? What about uh, yeah. and the, claw? the finger? The hearing aid turns into the like this like monster kind of scorpion thing and like sinks itself into the side of his head, which I I thought that was really fucking gross. Also, <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. That's what yeah. the movies are supposed to fucking be. Yeah. Especially the later ones, you know, like that's what four and five and this one should have been, but they I think because five didn't do well. They, they they were trying for something else, which is weird to do. Why would you try for something else in the last movie? Supposedly, this is the director. This was one of her ideas is that it should be funny. Rachel Talalay. Like, and I mean, she seems to have done a lot of good, interesting stuff. And obviously, it's cool that she worked with John Waters for forever. But I mean, according to what I've read, this is like she thought it would be really great for it to be a funny movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> which, I, I mean, don't know she, how well that worked out. You know, she had worked behind the scenes on. Um, multiple Elm Street movies like a, I forget yeah. what level she started at I think she, she was a she producer on the first four produ- of them I think yeah. yeah and so she kind of worked her way up and then by this point she had produced the John Waters movies and this was her first time directing um, yes. it's also I'm, for what it's worth this is the only Nightmare on Elm Street movie directed by a woman and I think if you I was thinking about it I don't think like Friday the 13th Halloween Child's Play like almost any series you could mention i don't think has ever had a woman direct one before yeah. of any of the supposedly slashes. she was getting notes like not even after the filming was completed but like during filming that were like don't don't be uh, don't be too sensitive like don't don't uh, <laughs> don't don't make it too girly like the, like literally the don't make it too sensitive was literally one of them but like basically wow. there's being like don't make it like a girly movie for little girls you know <laughs> oh but i had this great idea it's gonna be for girls. It's really weird. It's really yeah, weird. That's terrible. terrible. I, I I know we talked about it before we started recording, Chris. But we talked about the Peter Jackson. Oh yeah, no, here. we haven't. So the other big thing about this movie, the the lore of this movie, is that there was a, like a VP at New Line who really loved Peter Jackson, who tried to get them to distribute his first two movies, uh, Meet the Feebles and Bad Taste, right? And <laughs> they didn't, right? But then he got them. He got Peter Jackson brought on to do a draft of the script. And so his, Peter Jackson's concept, it's, uh, I don't think the script is out online or I haven't found it. Um, it's, it's called Dream Lovers. And the basic plot is that um, it's playing off the idea that Nightmare on Elm Street 5 didn't really do very well and people didn't, aren't scared of Freddy anymore. So it's like people in Springwood aren't scared of Freddy and teens take sleeping pills to fall asleep to fuck with Freddy and like bully him <laughs> and... <laughs> and it's supposed to kind of shift your sympathies to Freddy and they're supposed to be like huge dicks to him. And then he, um, 
Freddy does manage to kill make this movie. Freddy does manage to kill <laughs> somebody. And then once he kills somebody, then he like goes on a bloody rampage, you know? And there's a whole thing where there's also like a cop in a coma. Who's like Freddy's foil throughout the movie. Um, it sounds great. I mean, it honestly does sound great. Peter Jackson needs a comeback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he does. Maybe this, maybe, maybe dream lovers could be it. Dream lovers. <laughs> so I mean, he sounds- makes it and then he comes out with like a four hour extended cut of it. <laughs> well, it's funny because these three things happened and then um, they did apparently ask him to do uh, Freddy versus Jason like, to work on it in some way and he declined <laughs> to be involved. <laughs> There's something about Freddy's Dead that I feel like, um, like in 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 Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, Jason takes Manhattan, right? So Jason leaves uh, Crystal Lake and he goes to Manhattan, and it's great, right? Like I, I think it has a, a fair amount of detractors, but I like Jason <laughs> takes Manhattan. It's really funny, and it takes it does take him a little too long to get there, mm-hmm. but yeah. once he's there, it's great. Like why couldn't freddie have gone somewhere else like just he doesn't no one cares about spring well if the movie seems really in, care about freddie the movie seems really in love with this whole thing it's doing where it's like they're doing this kind of like um faulkner for eight-year-olds thing where the town is full of these insane eccentrics you know and it's kind of like almost like a twin peaksy kind of thing supposedly yeah. where well, they, re- I think they reference yeah. twin peaks i yeah. think that's specifically what if you look at like Twin Peaks ended around the same time. It was like people were crazy about Twin Peaks then, and and yeah, that's when they say we're in Twin Peaks. That's their way of saying you see, this is like Twin Peaks, right? It's like Twin Peaks, but I definitely think yeah, because it's like this town of eccentrics that yeah, you know, spooky eccentrics they're exploring. That seems to be kind of the heart of this concept in some way, but it's played in this very much like for ten year olds way, where the like people's houses have like cobwebs and you know they're just like walking around in circles going like I, I don't remember any of the lines ricky but they're basically <laughs> going like hey sparkles come over here and they're just doing it over and over again well roseanne comes running over and starts talking about how cute the kids are again they're like 16 going on 27 <laughs> and she's talking to them and, and and they're like uh she's like you're so cute and then tom arnold comes run, running over and I already quoted him, but he grabs her and he, she's, he's like, leave them alone. Don't you know they bring him? <laughs> and uh, apparently in the in the, in the the Nightmare documentary, the cast of the movie talks about what it was like having them on set. And they were like, they were just fucking in their trailer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that rules. And they were like all over each other on set the whole time. It was like, they were like, it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's fucking um, that that fucking rules, Ricky. I think that's cool that Roseanne and Tom Arnold could not stop fucking on the set of Freddy's Dead. Don't you know they bring hate? I mean, it's beautiful um, to see people in love. You know, it's beautiful. So then, I think I'm I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, you know, we didn't talk about how Yafet Koto is in this, but Yafet Koto yeah. is in this, and he's the fucking man. But um, he doesn't really have that much to do other than. Um, he say, he tells the audience when to put on the 3D glasses. Um, <laughs> he, he also introduces. Said this was in... He introduces oh, the important ahead. the important information that Freddy met these dream demons. Right, you know, right. After dream he was demons. burned alive because he got off on a technicality, then these little snake guys came up to him apparently and 
offered him his powers or whatever, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And and so, the, they have these voices that are like, "Freddy, <laughs> <laughs> do you wanna do do you wanna live forever, Freddy?" <laughs> And they're, they're like they're hovering puppet, in air and like stop motion guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that I remember that and being they, like about the only thing that actually looks three D in that part. Nothing it, looks three D. Yeah. So I mean, this is the other thing we haven't talked we about is this three D sex. It's famous for having ten minutes in three D, and it's mostly like awful, <laughs> like not even close to being three D ish. Apparently when they release the movie in theaters, this is a testament to how fucking stupid American audiences, specifically, I guess, Nightmare on Elm Street fans are. People still had trouble knowing when to put the glasses on. <laughs> oh my God. They literally say, put on your glasses, and then they show a character having 3D glasses materialize onto their face. Like, right, like that, I mean, like well, this movie goes so, more so than any other movie I've ever yes. seen, with the exception of a sub, a flashing, sub, like, you know, title card that says glasses now, goes so far out of its way to tell you, it, for no fucking reason whatsoever, puts 3D glasses into a character's hands, so and then says, when you want, like, you know, put these on when you get into the dream. And then she gets in the dream, and she, she literally, like, takes the glasses full close up of her face and slowly puts them <laughs> on her face and then they dissolve and it's like a, someone in the audience was still going like does that mean i should put the glasses and they on? haven't even given her some kind of prop that looks like it would be some kind of like medical device or future technology they are paper 3d glasses identical yes. to the ones you would have gotten in the movie theater <laughs> they are like they're they're they almost like, I'm sure someone thought of it at one point, but they just couldn't get there. They almost say Freddy's Dead 3D glasses 1991 <laughs> yeah, right. on them. Like, yeah. that's, that's how like, ridiculous this, this scene is. And people are like, when am well, I supposed I, to put my glasses on? I, I, uh, I will say in its defense, sort of, that, um, or in the defense of the people that didn't know when to put the glasses on, that... Um, like one... Oh, Vern, did you not know? I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, I knew when to put them on. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, like when... Well, I mean, Friday you say that now, 3D, but it's pretty obvious from... Friday the 13th 3D <laughs> is... I've, I didn't see it at the time, but I've in later years was able to see it two times in 3D. And that movie is incredible. And that was the type... They kind of developed a new technology for that. And in those days, they really had to use... I think they used two lenses to project and then they had to have a silver, a literal silver screen for it to project properly. But by the time, and so that was like the eighties wave of 3d had this, they had to have certain equipment for it. But by the time of, of these days, it's multiplexes and they weren't going to bother to do that in a mall somewhere to show Freddy's dead. So it's just the shitty red and red and green glasses that you know from like 3d comic books and stuff like that. So it really didn't look good. So it's very obvious when you put them on, but I do remember throughout the scene, like occasionally going, is it over now? Cause it just didn't look like it was 3d really. <laughs> yes. So I, so yes. I kept taking the I glasses have... off and going, no, I think it's still blurry there. You know, we have, um, I have the box set with the glasses, which I found in like a, um, a used rec a record store, uh, like a six or seven months ago. And I was so excited because I'd never, I've never, I'd never seen the 3D, 
and I was I was I found it for like twenty bucks, and it had the glasses in it. it had two pairs of glasses, and so I immediately texted Chris, and I was like, "Hey, when September comes, we have to, we're gonna we're gonna watch this." I got the, I got the, I got the shit, man, and we were both so bummed. Out. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I don't know if at that point we expected anything, but we were we would both consistently take the glasses off and be like, "Is anything? Are you, are you getting anything? Yeah. What is happening here?" Yeah, that type of three dudes. That type of 3D never works on home video, and I don't. I don't think it was much better in the theater, from my experience. I mean, there's even moments where they're holding things up to the camera, right? Yeah. Or like a head explodes and shoots at the camera, yelling. <laughs> and I still was like, I don't. I'm not getting any 3D here. It's very strange because it's things that you're like. Obviously, this is supposed to be coming out of the screen, but it's not doesn't look like that even a little bit. I guess there's a couple things that have that like layer separating effect, but you know, mostly it's pretty terrible. And I was like you said, like at this point in the movie, the last 10 minutes, like what are you fucking expecting? But you've already watched the whole rest of Freddy's dead, you know, the other like 50 minutes of it or whatever. And, but I just thought like, Oh, well this will just be like visually inventive at least a little bit. Like they'll just be a little bit cheesy and fun. And I, I did not find it to be that i did not um so that takes place within basically the last like 30 minutes of the movie where they go into freddy's uh freddy's daughter is somehow able to go into freddy's um psyche his ego his um his memories and um they uh i believe in the script it's actually referred to as like she goes inside of what looks like a mr toad's wild ride (laughs) <laughs> and bounces between his memories. I like I liked that part. It's uh Yeah, that part that's my favorite. Well, we'll get to we do favorite parts. We'll get to that in a minute. But um they go into the they go into the memories and um she sees him as a child where he's like a kind of sadistic animal murderer in a in a class that's making fun of him, which I love that scene. I've always I've always loved that scene. Sort of like a young Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy just smashing a hamster and in, in, in or Young Sheldon. Yeah. It's like Young Sheldon. Young Sheldon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> then we see him living with his father, played by Alice Cooper, who um, beats him for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> like not that anyone like beats anybody for a reason, but he. Just it's not like one of those good like, reasons you can beat up your child. It's a. It's like for no reason. He comes downstairs and Freddy is now a teenager and he's slicing up his own stomach um, for fun. Uh, and Alice Cooper's like, Freddy, time to take your medicine, boy. <laughs> whipping him. Pretty good. And then, Alice Cooper then is one of Freddy the people that went to the like PR event funeral they had at Hollywood Forever, <laughs> where they had a <laughs> funeral for Freddy to promote the movie. <laughs> um. But then the kid who plays Freddy as a teenager kills Alice Cooper in this really strange way where it's like he's beating on on Freddy and Freddy can take the abuse. And he's like, can I have another, sir? And then he says something along the lines of like the thing about pain is if you just stop feeling it, you can start using it. And then he just points the knife at Alice Cooper and we cut away. And like the music is supposed to be like he killed him, and apparently they shot Alice Cooper getting sliced the fuck up. By and they didn't kid. use it and in they, the movie. No, they didn't use it. Isn't it's insane? It's Freddy's origin story, and they shot it. It's already in the can. Like, oh my god. Um, 
and then we see Freddy as a husband he, where he's murdering his 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 wife um violently strangling her <laughs> taking her in the backyard while a crying little girl <laughs> looks on <laughs> that's a pretty great part yeah that's pretty and, fucked up i mean i will say as a as a new father it did hit me pretty hard i was like wow that would be dude dude that would be pretty fucked up if i did that <laughs> if i did that to my, my poor wife robert england uh sans makeup comes walking over and says don't worry about mommy she just had to take her medicine <laughs> And then then the daughter appears with Freddy and they fist fight and um something that you referred to when we were watching the movie Chekhov's pipe bomb <laughs> kills Freddy <laughs> which is in the first time we meet Breckenmeyer in the first act it's alluded to the fact that he, he was made, showing kids pipe bombs and that's supposed to be just like a kind of what? like what a scamp kind of thing <laughs> like yeah, some like, like some fun yeah some fun mischief he like he's making pipe he runs, bombs. He you runs know those out. things like <laughs> ISIS uses in the subway. Like <laughs> he's like, oh, that. I was just trying to show the kids some survival techniques. <laughs> um, and then Freddie blows up, and he says, "Kids," and uh, he he blows up. Should we move on to yeah, favorite parts and, and the questions? Vern, at the end of uh, every podcast, we ask uh, three questions. We ask them of ourselves as well. Uh, I, being a terrible um, host and booker, forgot to send them to you, uh, which happens all the time. Chris can attest to this. Ricky, I think you're a great host and a fantastic booker, and I really appreciate everything you do. But I don't send, but I often don't. No, send you never questions. send the question. It's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but the first question is simple it's what, what was your favorite part of the movie? I, th- I think it was the Freddy Vision part because I like when it zooms through like a model that's supposed to be his brain. And uh, I, th- I think you talked about the late the latex stuff in the other ones. And I think I, I love like the Friday the 13th series and the Halloween series and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Child's Way and everything. But Nightmare on Elm Street was the one that appealed to me the most when I was growing up because it's like even on a bad one, you're going to have some crazy dream where someone turns into a roach or, 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 you know, gets force fed until their face explodes or something. And I just loved the imagination of all the, and the craftsmanship that went into all the effects, but I really never noticed until watching it this time that there actually is way less of that in this movie. (laughs) Like you were saying, like, as far as the, (laughs) the, the gore, the gory weird, uh, latex effects on on the deaths and stuff but it does have a lot of like models of the model of the house of the elm street house and the model of freddie's brain and stuff like that so that i I enjoy anything where they have kind of like a a weird little practical effect thing yeah i mean i think that is my favorite part of the movie as well um not just for the the sort of sequence where she's like bopping around the inside of his brain literally like a an amusement park ride but i like the flashbacks to freddy as a child i think they're genuinely creepy um you know smashing a hamster in the back of the classroom with a mallet and cutting your own stomach and then murdering like those are the scariest parts of the movie if if they were to even be scary and uh i i i just i i like those more i also like um as much as you know rob zombie showed that you really shouldn't do this i i like backstory sometimes for for horror movie villains so you liked knowing more about where freddie was coming from 
I guess. I mean, I just like, I, I also like bad kids. <laughs> I mean, we've been over this so many times, Ricky, but I'm a good boy. Ricky's a bad boy. <clears throat> I, didn't, I like bad kids. I didn't watch this kind of stuff. It's very, you know, hurtful to me <laughs> to see people behaving poorly. I will say, in all honesty, my daughter, so I have a daughter who's like almost two, very close. When we watch TV with her, when people are mean to each other, she goes like, and I'm like, I know the feeling, man. I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> like, I don't like it either. I think I think it's just something genetic in my family that we just have just too much empathy. And so I don't like this shit. It makes me feel bad. Um, for me, says, says, says the guy who did not text me back during the hurricane to see if oh I was God. okay. I do apologize, Ricky, but I was like epically drunk. I actually had a really crazy night that night. <laughs> I texted him, and I and I was like, "Hey, man, are 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 you okay? This is like in the midst of the the hurricane in New York City." And he says, "Yeah, I'm fine. That's it." Okay, I live in New York too. Okay, so I realized this was bad, and I apologize. No, it was fine. It was fun. I thought it. Ricky I thought it was texted really me funny. like, "Oh, we fucking drowned, and rats ate my girlfriend." <laughs> Thanks for asking, you piece of shit. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I had met some friends for drinks at a bar that night and I did not anticipate the hurricane to be that bad. And we ended up being no. stuck there <clears throat> until like two in the morning. And by about eight or 9 PM, I was just like out of my brain on alcohol. And so, yes, it was the fact that I managed to type a reply to you. I think it's actually pretty impressive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite part? Uh, you know, not to be a big dumbass, but like I did, I don't know. I just thought that the parts that were like the stupidest and the most fun were all of the like really dumb cartoony Freddy things. Like the sequence we were talking about where he pushes the bed of nails out and he's panting and mugging to the camera to push a big, and you're watching somebody fall onto the bed of nails. I'm like, this is so dumb. And it was, it was great. It was really great. It was really stupid. I mean, I guess I kind of ironically like it the most. I didn't, I didn't really think it was a very good movie. I didn't think it was easy to follow what was happening. I thought everything was very muddled and insane and like cheap seeming. And um, at least those parts were kind of like big swings, you know, like. It does, it yeah. does look cheaper, I think, than more, much cheaper than the other Freddy movies. Yeah, I mean, I guess the franchise was, Just like, visually. on the way out. I mean, this was supposed to be the last one, like, forever. and uh, the f But they were never... I mean, it's still <clears> a $10 million <throat> budget in 1991. Right, like, that's a lot. That's pretty good for a horror movie. Yeah. It is weird, though. I was also confused that it looked... I was like, this is a Freddy movie? I mean, this woman, the, the director, um, has made a career directing kind of, like, TV science fiction things for teens, and it looks like that. Like some like at some point I wrote in my notes like this looks like an Encyclopedia Brown episode. Like it was just like not good. It was not good. It was not fun to look at at all. I, I kind of liked the look of it. I liked how the um this the recovery center or whatever, like everything looked very cluttered in a way that was weirdly kind of realistic and the lighting. Yeah. Um I looked up the cinematographer and it didn't seem, well, he had done some YouTube videos and stuff, but it didn't seem like he'd done anything real significant movie wise, but it has, it's, it's like the same production designer as the last couple Elm streets, but it seems like the, like the lighting and stuff was really different. It didn't have that same like artificial, like red and green gels over everything. And it looks yeah. kind of more naturalistic lighting, at least in 
the center, but not in the dreams and stuff. Yeah, I like that the I like that the the center also looked uh, like it. we we noticed that while we were watching it, Chris. I think you said something along the lines of like, "What did they just not finish building this set?" <laughs> and, I, and I was like, "No, I think it's actually supposed to be the center is like you know it's a social service center, so it's like pub funding has probably been cut and they don't really have the money to like you know, which is a but, kind of a cool detail yeah. for a movie like this. But like yeah, Fett and Cutter something is... that they should have employed later in the movie, they should have done something with it. Yeah, Fett Cutter's office like was like crammed full of like all the kinds of books that he would have and stuff. Like it seemed like a real like weirdo's office, you know. <laughs> I can get through to these kids. I can get through to these kids through their dreams. Oh, God. Um, the second question that we ask is, um, you know, this movie uh, came out um, in 1991, 30 years ago. Um, we decided to do this podcast last year and it's called 30 years later. So I think every movie we're going to talk about while we do it is from the nineties, unfortunately, unless we, we keep going for 10, 20 years. Uh, but what, what, oh, no. what do you think was the most nineties thing about this movie? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's got a lot of goo goo dolls songs on the soundtrack. Uh, oh fuck you that's exactly where i was going <laughs> i i really like the when she does the little kickboxing uh practice it seems it seems like it's gonna be a training montage but it kind of gets cut off but they're playing chub rock while she's kickboxing for some reason uh treat her right by by chub rock that was a weird inclusion uh let me see oh definitely the the video game and the reference to now I'm playing with power, whatever he says. I don't think his glove doesn't the turn. Power glove. Yeah, his glove doesn't turn into a power glove, does it? Uh, but he he kind of references. I think it is literally a power um, glove. No, oh, does... it's not an actual. It's like a Freddy a Freddy version of the power glove yeah. <laughs> because they couldn't get the rights to, okay. to 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 use Nintendo's power glove, but they did it. They they they, they and Nintendo anyway. wanted them to cut that line because they had kind of trademarked that line in the commercials. But they they refused to cut it and they did it anyway. Good for them. Yeah, that's cool. Take that Nintendo, um, you motherfuckers. <laughs> that scene, that scene where Tracy is is listening to that. Did you say Chub Rock? What's the name of the song? Uh, treat it right by by Chuck, or is it treat treat them right? I forget. It's when she's kickboxing. It's playing that, a Chub Rock song for a little bit. Right. That so that's the scene at the beginning of the movie where we first meet Tracy and or we meet we meet Tracy running through the the the, the place, but where we meet Carlos, right? Uh, well, I'm thinking of the scene where she's getting ready to to battle and she starts kickboxing, and then uh, Yafet Kata's like, "No, you're going to need to learn some kind of dream thing." <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it seems like she's it's like, going to no, be like man, a I fighting want... montage, like in. Uh, is it part four where he's where he has the guy has the invisible karate fight with Freddy? But the Al, yeah, Alice's brother, who's uh, who's into karate, and he he's he's got a right. scene where he's he's practicing with a song playing. It seems like it's going to be that, but then it just gets cut off. Right, right. Um, there's I was just thinking about that scene that where we first meet Carlos and Tracy, and how the dialogue. Screenplay by Michael DeLuca, who uh, produced Boogie Nights and Magnolia, yeah. as well as Social Network and a number of other movies. Yeah, he was just um, the big New Line executive, but he also was a horror yeah. fan, and he wrote In the Mouth of Madness. Um, did, did he really? really? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's like his other that. big screenplay. I think that's a great movie. Yeah, that's a better. That's a good movie. It's better written. Um, but that scene between Tracy and Carlos, where it's like Carlos says something sarcastic to Tracy, and Tracy starts throwing kicks at him, and it's like, "You ain't getting none, Carlos." You, <laughs> oh, because he says you're sexy when you sweat, and she starts saying, "You ain't getting none, Carlos. You ain't getting none," and then he takes his hearing aid out and Brecken Meyer pick grabs it and puts it back in his ear. And it's like, you should talk back to her. Don't let her talk to you that way. And I was like, she didn't say anything. You know, like, aren't they're just fucking playing around there's, with each other. Like, what are you, there's just like, a, I mean, it's a, it's a minor thing, but there are moments in the movie where again, it's like, wait, why is he saying that to him? He didn't, well, this is, he said something shitty to her and she's messing with him and they're all having a good time. Talk. And then Carlos is like, it's like it's only so Carlos can say I stopped talking back when it became hazardous to my health. Right, exactly. And introduces like you know what happened to his hear what happened to his hearing. Well, this but is my feeling of watching so much of the moment. movie is like I don't know who why anyone is saying or doing anything they're doing or who any of the characters are or like like we didn't even mention like a big part of the plot is a bunch of the teenagers are hiding in the van that john is taking back to springwood because they want to escape the asylum but then instead of escaping they just explore springwood and like well no because because they can't they can't get out of springwood they keep being driven in circles and it doesn't it's not explained as to if they're awake how is freddie driving them in circles yeah exactly. how is freddie not letting none them of, out it, of Springwood? it makes any sense i just had this feeling all the time of like am i missing something like was i looking at my phone and i missed why this makes sense and like no no i was not um from like freddie seems to be steering the ship all the time whether it's reality or dream but somehow he still needs to be yeah. I mean, the one thing of Freddy is that he you can only see him if you're asleep. So, like, why <laughs> this movie seems to have a real problem with that, like, restriction of his. Uh, um, my 90s thing is the Goo Goo Dolls songs. Yeah, tight. That's nice. I mean, for me, I had this moment where, like, I found myself writing in my notes ad uh, or app Brecken Meyer's Silk Shirt. And I was like, I don't think I've ever written anything more 90s than that. Just, like... <laughs> Brecken Myers silk shirt. You know, it's just like he's wearing these very loud pattern, and maybe it's not silk, maybe it's like polyester or something, but you know, the kind of giant 90s crazy pattern, like Dan Flash's kind of shirt. Um, to me, that just something that about that whole concept is just very, very 1990s to me. Right. The only way it could get more 90s is if you were to write Mark Paul Gossler's <laughs> silk shirt. Right, exactly. <laughs> Mark Paul Gossler's uh, cross on a chain. Um, so the last question that we ask is, um, you know, this movie did come out 30 years ago. Usually with most of these movies, with most of these movies, there's something that culturally we've, we've grown out of that the movie does. Oftentimes that's like, you know, there was something racist that was, that the movie would didn't consider or something sexist, or sometimes it's just like you would never get a movie that this budget, or I think, probably for this it's kind of the 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 obvious answer is the sort of boogeyman aspect and like we don't really get horror movie villains that are comic boogeymen um ever anymore and maybe freddie and chucky were the only ones um so the question is you know what do you think we've grown out of since this this movie came out and it's a tougher question so if you want to take a minute to think we can go well i think the we kind of alluded to it earlier but i think the whole thing about carlos is uh hearing impairment would have been 
either not in it at all or would be handled differently. Uh, but that's kind you don't of think they would have it. the the guy the hero like the villain that we're supposed to kind of like Freddy making fun of someone for being deaf, <laughs> like walking around behind <laughs> them and waving their arms and like. <laughs> I kind of want to see the version of this where Freddy still, um, like attacks a deaf guy, but he does it like in a culturally sensitive way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, like like the 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 type of death isn't changed. But like yeah. somehow Freddy is still like a like language appropriate right. while dealing with Carlos, and it doesn't seem to be treating yeah. his deafness as a handicap. Do you know what I mean? Just a just another aspect of him as a human being. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. it's Chris. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Vern. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's really not. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not sensitive enough, but it doesn't actually seem as offensive as it sounds. It doesn't seem super <laughs> offensive, but it just it just. Uh, I, I still, you know, I don't think they would do it the same now. Yeah, I mean, I have, I agree. And I have, I think there's another thing related to Carlos, which is that the way they portray his like tenement that he lives in, you know, we were talking about it before, but there is something about it that is so like conservative, you know, this, I, it's like, it's like they, they might as well be a sign uh, front that says like welfare mother's circle, you know, and you're just seeing all these kind of like Republican fever dream stereotypes, like crackheads and, um, you know, drug dealers and all kinds of stuff. But like, and I understand that would be scary to a child. So like, and it would be something you would have a nightmare about if that's really where you grew up, but something about it, I felt like if they wouldn't do it the same way today, I don't think, I definitely don't think it wouldn't be so generalized. I don't think. Um, but the other one, I think, is what you were saying, Ricky, the boogeyman thing, the like the idea of a, a horror movie for kids that isn't like a Pixar movie or something like Monsters, Inc., you know, like this is today when they make this kind of thing, it's a Monsters, Inc., you know, it's not Freddy's dead. Uh, Could you even get away with like a, a, a funny boogeyman style thing? I just think people would think it's like Freddy now only works in in retrospect you know as like a piece is a period of time like uh, i i also think if you showed like a someone much younger than us who didn't grow up with these characters of freddy movie they with the exception of the first one they would probably be pretty annoyed <laughs> <laughs> you know he's an annoy he because he's not that funny unless you were there yeah like yeah unless you were there unless you were 12 or 13 and saw when he put the girl's head into a TV and said, welcome to prime time, bitch. He's not that funny. Like, that's not that funny. Like, but when you were 13, yeah. holy shit, Chuck, is that amazing. Chucky's pretty funny, though. Some of Chucky's hold up. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I think well, in general... Did child's... Pl- oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I think in general, you're right that that... Not only do they not do that kind of thing, but it mostly doesn't hold up even to someone who loves horror. We did um, Child's Play 3 last week, and uh, honestly, Child's Play 3, I have more love for Freddy's Dead because of my, my history with it, but Child's Play 3 is a better it's movie. It's like a remarkably better movie. <laughs> and it's doing a kind of similar thing where it's like it's turning, it's really going out of its way to make Chucky into kind of a cartoony figure for a lot of the movie, but it's done better. It's done a lot more effectively. And- and it also moves Chucky to a, uh, a a military boarding school, and then that's where the action takes place. <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. waffle on where it wants to be. It really bothered me that that kid 
like was carrying the doll around the he, he was much too old for it and he believed that it was just an electronic doll oh, <laughs> oh, the, the i'm sure really you went over all that <laughs> no yeah the really annoying yeah. kid who's carrying the doll around did you think he was too old to <laughs> play with dollies no. you thought he was too old to play with dollies. <laughs> i think he was too old to believe that the doll was just an electronic toy that was supposed to talk to him yeah. Which was your criti- which was your criticism, Chris, yeah. because the doll would be like, Fuck you, you little shit. And he'd be like, Hey, you're only supposed to say three words. Yeah. He would be like, Give me a cup of coffee, I'm thirsty. And he'd be like, Ha ha, Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> um well guys, that's, that's it. it. I think that was uh that was Freddy's Dead. Vern, thank you yeah, so thank much you for so um, much. coming by thank and you. talking to us about this masterpiece from uh nineteen ninety from the, the the best movie that came out on September thirteenth, nineteen ninety one. Um, I don't even know if that's true, to be honest with you. Uh, Vern, where uh, where can people check out your work? Uh, well, I'm on outlawvern.com. I review usually four movies a week, and um, I'm on I'm outlawvern on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, and I have a book, uh, uh, a novel I wrote last year called Worm on a Hook, which is like uh, inspired by slasher movies, and it's kind of like a. a a crossbreeding of of slasher like Friday the Thirteenth type movies and like a eighties or nineties action movie. Uh, so, if you like Freddy's Dead or movies better than Freddy's Dead, then you might like it. So, <laughs> uh, look it up. Awesome. Thanks, yeah, thank Thanks, you so guys. much. All right. Good night. Thank you. Peace. Bye. Good night.